Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg, broadcasting to you here in Blacksburg, but with my my friends here virtually first in the 757 with a background now on Zoom that is just simply a bunch of popcorn. We have Ricky the Blue. Ricky, how are you, man? Dude, tech is not a basketball school, but it is pretty nice to have a tech team that doesn't suck. So uh, props to Mike Young. It's pretty cool. So I have, in his honor, I have made my background today a bunch of popcorn because for some odd reason, Mike Young just loves popcorn. Yeah, no, he certainly does. And Ricky, I will say, you say that Tech is not a basketball school, but they're winning in basketball. I would venture to say that Ricky LeBlue is not a very good gambler, but I am pleased to inform you that Ricky LeBlue went five and oh in our picks against the spread this week in radio i would normally have a button where i could play a round of applause i don't have that here but this is me telling you that you deserve a round of applause my friend your record you are now with i think only seven games under 500 on the season (laughs) sorry i almost choked when you said seven games under 500 still so We've got a lot to get into the pods. Let's go ahead and ignore my brief uh, respite of utility when it comes to picking football games. That's why you're a writer, my friend. Great word choice there. Also a writer is Mike McDaniel. He's with us from Northern Virginia. Mike, how are you, man? I thought you were transitioning to me who's on an absolute heater with my actual like money on games. Now, not on this podcast necessarily because I don't bet all the ACC games on a weekly basis, but I will say, I got back to 500 on the year with actual games I've gambled on. I'm now 50, 50, and three on the year. Breaking even, baby. Attaboy, attaboy. Not necessarily making America money, but not losing the money either. Not losing the money. We got a whole lot to talk about, gentlemen, and not that much time to do it. Virginia Tech basketball, maybe we're pretty good. Who knows? But before we even... Touch on that. I got to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want your health care provider to actually care about you and your health care outcomes. If that's something that you're interested in, which I think that we should all be interested in that, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, gentlemen, well, let's get it started here. Virginia Tech, me and Ricky, we, we, we previewed them on Wednesday following the Radford game. And 
there was a whole lot, I, I think the theme of it, I would say, is there was a whole lot of known unknowns with this Virginia Tech basketball team. That's to say, there was a whole lot of things that we knew that we didn't know. We didn't know how we would replace Nally and PJ Horn, Isaiah Wilkins, I guess as well. We didn't know how the guys who were on the team last year would develop. We didn't know how good these new additions, these transfers would be. And more importantly, I don't think we knew how everyone would mesh together, right? In the modern day of college basketball with all the transfers, you can look at a guy and say, all right, here's how player A did in his previous situation. Here's how player B did in his previous situation. Now we're bringing them to a new school you don't know how they're going to mesh and you don't know how they're going to work into the system. And they don't, you don't know how the chemistry will develop with the guys that are already existed on the team, especially in such a short period of time. And especially given the circumstances surrounding COVID. Well, we didn't know, but now we have an idea and that idea looks pretty good. Virginia tech downs number three Villanova. Mike Young, the second time in as many years with a November victory over Vegas's preseason favorite for the national championship, right? And you look at what goes on in the football program and Justin Fuente's tenure has been plagued by an inability to beat ranked teams and an Achilles heel of losing as a ranked team to teams you shouldn't, unranked teams. Mike Young continues to impress, continues to pull the upsets, like I said, there was a whole lot we didn't know, and rightfully so. But I want to ask you guys first, gentlemen, and Mike, you can start with this one. What surprised you most about the Virginia Tech basketball team during their trip to the Mohegan Sun? Not an easy what surprised you most. I know it's surprising that they beat Villanova, but what on a more micro level surprised you the most? Shoot, I mean, you mentioned this already. It's a surprise they even played Villanova. I mean, that was the biggest surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> the fact that Temple gets replaced with Villanova, not only does Virginia Tech show well in that game, but they win outright. Um, and now Tech is the 16th ranked team in the country. I mean, it's so early. I, I, I don't think that Virginia Tech is the 16th best team in the country, but I think they're damn good. Um, I think this team is deep. I think this team is better than expected. Uh, first of all, you guys did a great job with the preview, so I want to commend you on that because I wasn't on that. I listened to it. I thought it was really good, so great work. Um, but uh, you guys mentioned Keve Aluma um, in the preview and what kind of impact he was going to make, and I knew Aluma would be good. I didn't know that he would be this good. I mean, he's averaging 18-5 and five through the team's first three games. He was instrumental to the victory against Villanova, a big reason why they won that game was because of Keve Aluma and his ability and what he's been able to show early on. But but the thing even like deeper than that that surprised me is that Keve Aluma has developed a three-point shot. Now, I know it's a small sample size and it's been only three games, but the one thing that Virginia Tech was missing last year, even beyond front court depth and guys who can contribute consistently outside of P.J. Horn, I think the one thing that was missing clearly last year was the ability to have a big who could stretch the floor and pj horn would hit some threes and they'd take way too many and he was not the shooter that maybe even he thought he was um but keve aluma through three games is making 67 percent of his three-point attempts which is obviously not sustainable over the course of an entire season but 
he didn't even attempt any threes at Wofford. Now he's added this element to his game where he's a guy who can stretch the floor. He can step back. He can hit threes. If asked, he can also drive to the lane. He's a good rebounder. Um, and he's a competent big man, which Virginia Tech hasn't had really since Kerry Blackshear. Now, I know it's only been a couple of years, but even like the depth at that position, like Justin Mutz is not the same type of player as Kevin Aluma is, but he is a similar defender. He's been really good uh, defending some of the paint touches that we've seen from these opposing teams here early on. I think defensively, he's been really good. And then Cordell Pemsel, I thought, came along nicely in the South Florida game. Um, a guy who obviously had played some in the first couple of games of the year. He transferred in from Iowa and he was a guy who we thought would have an impact. And he's, he, you know, came in against South Florida and played really well defensively, rebounding the ball, obviously scored more than he had in the first couple of games. So that was really encouraging. And then I, I think the one other thing that stood out to me was the distribu- the distribution of freshman minutes. Um, Mike Young had talked about David Gusan and the fact that he could play some here early, but Joe Bamiso is probably the furthest along. I know Joe's our buddy. We've had him on this podcast. We love Joe. Um, but the game seems a little too fast for Joe here early on. He looks like he belongs from an athleticism standpoint, obviously his size and how he's looked running up and down the floor. I mean, he doesn't look like a scrawny freshman or anything like that. He looks like he certainly belongs on the floor as a freshman. Um, but he hasn't shot the ball well here early on. It looks like he's forcing things offensively a little bit. And I think that'll come for him as the season moves along. But I'm curious to see now there, there's, you know, five games left until Tech gets into the real brunt of their ACC schedule. I, they have a random game against Clemson here a couple of weeks, which technically kicks off the ACC. But four out of the next five games are against non-conference opponents before Tech really starts their ACC schedule a few days after Christmas. And I'm curious now over the next five games, Tech has a number by their name now. They're a ranked team. They beat a Villanova team that they didn't even know they were going to play before this weekend. And they go and they win that game. And then the, the next question was, can they respond now coming like the very next night? How are they going to respond against a South Florida team after beating Villanova? And now you got to turn right back around and play South Florida and Tech offensively didn't play that well early on, but I thought they really found their stride later in that game. They win by double digits. And now the question is, can you carry that forward? Now you're ranked. Now the next test is, can you beat VMI handily like you're supposed to as a ranked team? And can you continue to progress in the coming weeks? And with four out of the next five against non-conference opponents, I really want to see how these freshmen come along. Does Gusan play a bigger role? Does Joe Bamisil play a bigger role? And does he find his footing a little bit, Bamisil specifically, because I think he's going to play the most out of the three freshmen. So that's what I'm looking for. And then obviously Jalen Cohen and John Ogiaco getting reimbursed into the lineup. Interested to see how their minutes play out. But that, that's kind of my major takeaways. And then I think it's pretty clear that Mike Young is going to stick by with Bissabidi as a starting point guard. And Beattie's been really good through three games. Um, he scored when he's been asked to, only took one shot last night against South Florida, as we sit here recording on Monday night. Um, but I thought overall Beatty's play has been really, really good in the first three games defensively and the way he's distributed and the way he's played offensively too. He scored when he's been asked and that's an improvement even from last year. He's been finding his shot a little bit. I'm curious to see if that continues. Yeah, Mike. And to your point about the two freshmen, Bama Seal and Maddox, they might not be completely ready. I mean, the, the speed of the college game, especially when game two of your career is going to be against a Villanova team that, like I previously mentioned, preseason Vegas favorite for the national championship, a team that 
brought back five of their six top scorers from last year's top 10 team. I mean, that's a different pace of basketball than you see in high school. And even at the high end AAU level, when you're playing, you know, the top guys in your class, right? But the good news because of the depth of this team is there's no pressure. Let's look back to last year, Mike Young's first game as head coach of Virginia Tech. You had Landers Nolly, Hunter Couture, Ojiako, Naheem Aline, Jalen Cohn, Tyrese Radford, all getting serious minutes, serious, meaningful minutes in what was their first real collegiate game. Mike Young had to depend on inexperience to come up with results last year. This year, between the transfers, and, and there's plenty of experience between the transfers, NCAA tournament appearances and whatnot, between the development of last year's freshmen, they don't need to lean on these guys. Famasil and Maddox can develop to the, the pace of this game and adjust to it at their own pace, per se. And, and that's an advantage. At the end of the day, veteran players who have been there before on the court matter. And Virginia Tech has that this year. Ricky, what surprised you the most? I wasn't expecting Cordell Pemsel to, to be as serviceable as he's looked so far. Um, coming from Iowa, I just kind of expect him to be a warm body. Those Tech fans who have been around for a little bit will, not even that long ago, but will remember Satchel Page, And I oh, kind of got the feeling <laughs> that's where this was going to go. I thought he was going to kind of fill that same role, but Pemsel is way more athletic, way more active on the defensive end. Um, finds ways to get open looks around the basket. That's really encouraging. And I think overall, it's just that the depth on the team, um, we've been kind of accustomed to watching Virginia Tech rely on seven, eight guys exclusively for the last several seasons, um, sometimes even fewer. I mean, there were games where Buzz Williams was playing six guys most of the game, and then he might throw a seventh guy in for a few minutes here and there. Um, the depth on this roster is pretty solid, uh, especially in the backcourt. Um, I'm, I'm really not sure how Mike Young is going to divide those minutes, given how many ball handlers he has, um, given how many shooters he has. And then you add Jalen Cohn to the mix. I'm not really sure how much of an impact Jalen Cohn is going to be able to make, given what we've seen thus far. I think the, the biggest thing is, is that, um, and it's not really all that surprising because we saw it last year, but this team is clearly bought into what Mike Young is selling. He is creating a healthy, engaging, fun culture uh, inside that program. That's clear just given how they're playing up to competition. They're taking care of teams that they should be taking care of. They're enjoying playing basketball. That's extremely important. Um, especially for a season that's going to be as challenging as this. And we've seen that on the football side and how challenging that can be and how there are a lot of times this season where Virginia Tech has just looked flat out disinterested and not like, and like they're not having any fun. Virginia Tech basketball looks like the exact opposite. I'm not saying that this team is exceptional. I agree that their 16th is going to be a bit hard for them to maintain for the rest of the season. Um, I do think they can maintain a top 25 ranking, even though I don't think it's entirely likely. 
Um, but given what we've seen, I think this team has a serious chance to make the NCAA tournament. Um, pray to God that it gets played. And um, we'll, we'll have to see how this team finishes down the stretch. We saw this last year, right? We saw Tech come out with a hot start. They started like 6-0, and beating Michigan State. Um, had a really, really bad finish to the season where they just could not get anything going. Can Virginia Tech avoid that this time around? I think they can. I do think they're going to encounter a couple rough stretches throughout the year, but ultimately this team is better than last year's team, and this team is better equipped to win important games moving forward. Indeed, indeed. And you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head with everything you said. I think what maybe surprised me most, and I don't know if it should have, but it's been interesting and very intriguing to see how different Mike Young's offense looks when you don't have a, a 6'5 guy playing at your five position, right? Aluma and to an extent Pencil and Mutz as well have been able to create more of an interior presence. And I, I think the offense flows more smoothly with those guys in the mix. And I mean, obviously, Aluma was a key part of what he did in his most successful season at Wofford. And, and to Mike's point, the development of the three-point shot. You know, I just said that there were things that we knew we didn't know. We didn't know that we didn't know that <laughs> this guy was going to create some range in his game. And, you know, there has been a lot of comparisons to Zach Ledet, and there's been a lot of comparisons to Blackshear. But at the end of the day, if this guy can stretch the floor, like Mike said, that adds a whole new element to Virginia Tech's offense, one that we didn't see last year, as I mentioned before. You know, last year with Virginia Tech, you're going to shoot the lights out, and if you're on, you can beat anyone because you're a team full of shooters. But if that was even slightly off, you're going to lose those games, especially down the stretch in the ACC to teams like Boston College, Wake Forest, games that a lot of people had marked as Ws last year when Virginia Tech kind of pittered out at the end after such a hot start. I don't know, A, with the depth, because the season is long and grueling. You could keep this depth, keep the legs a little bit more fresh. And on the other side, it's just not so reliant on that three-point ball. This is a more balanced team, and I think that will uh, pay dividends in the long run. That being said, you guys both just mentioned, number 16 in the country, it's a high ranking. And it's a ranking that maybe a couple wins early on in the season doesn't necessarily validate. And I personally agree with that. However, I mean, Ricky and I talked about this on the preview podcast. Mike, you weren't here, so I'm interested to see your thoughts. Expectations, right? My expectations going into the season were to follow the Buzz Williams track of program building. That being they had a tough season in the first season. Mike Young already outperformed Buzz Williams' first season. Granted, he had a probably a higher starting point year two of buzz williams you make the push in acc play at the end of the season you make the nit and you get that nit win and i think that anyone who follows the virginia tech basketball program knows from a i guess sheer momentum perspective how important winning that game in castle coliseum against Princeton in the first round of the NIT. And that sounds crazy because it doesn't sound that impressive, but where that program was, that was a win that they needed. 
So I kind of thought, okay, we'll just do something like that again. Go to the NIT, win a game, rock and roll going forward. But when this Villanova game got added, people started saying, this is your measuring stick game. This is how we see how good we are. We won outright. Virginia Tech won that game outright. So expectations are naturally going to be a little bit higher. Mike, I'll go first with you because I never knew where you were going into this season. Where were you before? Where are you now? Yeah, it's pretty fair. I mean, I think the expectation going into the year without knowing that Tech was going to have a game canceled against Temple and add Villanova and win that game, I think my expectation would have been much like yours. Like, let's follow the traditional track. Like, Tech for most of last year truthfully looked like an NCAA tournament team and then faded late in the year. And then it really towards the back, like 10 or 12 games didn't even really look like an NIT team. And we talked about that a bunch when, you know, we've really kind of first started this podcast. Um, I think now given the tech has beaten Villanova, that's obviously a great measuring stick game. Villanova is a great program, but the win against Villanova this year felt different, right? Like against Michigan state, it honestly felt like, tech got hot shooting the basketball and that's really the only reason they won like it felt like a lot of luck involved and and you got to have some luck on your side when you're playing a top five team like you got to have some things go your way and certainly some breaks went Virginia Tech's way and there were some breaks that didn't go their way like at the end of regulation Um, but I, I thought tech overall played a much more complete game in this win against Villanova than they did a year ago in the win against number three Michigan State in Maui this win felt different Tech feels like a more complete team. They're not as much live by the three, die by the three as they were a year ago. Now, the three-point offense is going to be an integral part of Mike Young's offense at Virginia Tech. It's, it has been his entire career. He's always had guys like Fletcher McGee, for example, at Wofford, who hit like a billion threes a few years ago in the tournament. That like He's always going to have guys who could really shoot the three well, and that's going to be a crucial part of the offense, but it feels like Tech is more complete. They have the front court depth they didn't have a year ago. They have depth on the wing that maybe they haven't had in 10, 15 years at Virginia Tech. Like They've always had some good wing players, but they haven't had this kind of depth at some of the, you know, the shooting guard and small forward positions that they've had um, in the past. they got a lot of depth there. Wibisabidi has continue to be really good defensively through three games and they've looked really good that um that the team defensively as a whole has looked really good um both with bd and then extending to front court with Aluma and mutz and those guys have all played well defensively so i think tech is going to be a top five or six unit in the acc defensively which i probably would not have said coming into the year but from what i've seen through three games i think that could bear itself out what's going to be really crucial here throughout the course of the rest of the season is how does virginia tech kind of respond to success right and that's a measure of a really good team right it, it it takes kind of an average team to a good team right virginia tech had a lot of success early in the year last year they beat michigan state they, they responded by losing to dayton they lost the game to byu it was clear that that michigan state game was a little fluky but i think we're going to learn a lot about virginia tech with the early success they've had this year and can they build on it south florida game was a good building block you know you come out you don't shoot the ball particularly well early but you respond well defensively and the offense started clicking in the second half and you win that game convincingly when you didn't necessarily have your best stuff. Another really good test, like I mentioned, is going to be against VMI here coming up later this week on Thursday when Tech's going to face a team as a ranked team for the first time in the Mike Young era. How do they respond there? Do they pass that test against a VMI team that's far inferior to what Virginia Tech has on their roster? 
But I think we're going to learn a lot from Virginia Tech in the three games that kind of follow that. Tech's got a game against Clemson, or I'm sorry, Penn State at home for the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, coming up next week after this VMI game Thursday. They have a game the following week against Clemson, and they have a game against Coppin State. And, and the Coppin State game, Tech's got a more talented roster in Coppin State. Coppin State just gave Duke a little bit of a run in Cameron. So that, that's going to be an interesting non-conference game. A lot of people are just kind of going to look past that, say Virginia Tech should win that game. And, and I agree, they should win that game. But that might be a little bit more of a challenge than I think a lot of people would expect if they're just seeing kind of the name on the scoreboard or the names on the back of the jersey. So I think we're going to learn a lot about Virginia Tech here for the next few games. Do I think Virginia Tech's the number 16 team in the country? Probably not. I mean, it's so it's so early in the year, but – Tech's got probably the most impressive winning college basketball through the first week of the year, right? I mean, name somebody with a better win than the one. San Francisco, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, San Francisco against number four UVA, by the way. So Tech's got a better win than, than San Francisco. All right, all right. I'll give you that. Oh, San Francisco beating UVA is a bigger win than Tech beating Nova. I'm sorry. Hey, Bill oh, it's only a bigger win. Well, it's only a bigger win because San Francisco is, I mean, Jesus. Like, yeah, that's my point. That's, that's why it's a bigger win. (laughs) Right. But point being, like, I think we're going to learn a lot about Virginia tech here over the next five games or so for the next five or in the non-conference schedule before tech gets into the brunt of ACC play a few days after Christmas. Um, I think tech can be a top 25 team throughout the course of the year. And if not in the top 25, maybe a fringe top 25 team, like Ricky was alluding to, like, I think 16 is a little high. But it's also early in the year, and maybe Tech's going to be better than we expected. I mean, shoot, we didn't think they would go out and just beat Villanova in a game that was scheduled like they they found out about less than 24 hours before. So I don't know. I mean, Villanova is playing their third game in four nights, too. Maybe that has an impact, not to take anything away from the victory, but, I mean, that's an element to bring into play that you don't see a lot in college basketball. So there's some stuff at play here, and the fact that there's going to be film out on Keve Aluma as well, like – Folks knew that Aluma was going to make an impact at Virginia Tech, but I don't think they thought that, and I certainly didn't, that he was going to be this good this early and be this kind of focal point in the offense like he is. You know, I I think as the book kind of goes out on that, you get into ACC play with some better coaching and some better teams, maybe Virginia Tech gets exposed a little bit. But I'm sure Mike Young knows that, and he's going to tailor the offense as necessary, and maybe they continue just kind of exceeding expectations, but I think tech can certainly be a tournament team based on what we've seen through three games. They're really balanced. They have good depth. They're playing well defensively. So this is a good team through the first week of the year. And let's see if it continues. Indeed. Indeed. And, and that measuring stick game against Villanova is big. And, you know, I I said to Ricky following the Radford tech game, I said, I'm not going to take too much away from this game because COVID, these teams haven't had, you know, an ample amount of, of practice time. They haven't had scrimmages where they get to face other teams, really see where they're at. That being said, I mean, you could poo-poo the Villanova win all you want, right? And I'm not saying you are, Mike, but I'm saying some people would. But Villanova, I mean, they had already, in a regular season game that counts, beat a Boston College team that, you know, they might be pick to finish at the bottom of the ACC, but they're still an ACC caliber basketball team and Villanova took care of business there. And they beat an Arizona State team who at the time was ranked number 18 in the country. I believe they're still ranked because they because they had a nice quality win over Rhode Island before that. So they have a win over now number 25 
Arizona State. The fatigue factor is a thing. The lack of preparation certainly can play into it. But I said that I looked at this as try to emulate Buzz Williams year two. Why not get to that year three point? Why not? I think this team is deep enough. And keep in mind, in a season where COVID can take a guy away for two weeks, but that might be four games. Virginia Tech is deep enough where they are more well-suited to overcome that than other teams. Imagine Buzz Williams' team playing in a COVID year. If you lost Robinson and Blackshear at the same time for three weeks, that's like four or five losses. This team can overcome that. That being said, it's still early. You still play in the ACC. And the ACC slate is not forgiving this year. You go twice against uh, UVA, twice against Florida State, twice against Louisville, and you still got to play the Dukes and the North Carolinas of the world once as well. It's also the ACC. It doesn't get any easier. I think my measuring stick now is expectations should be, again, 16 in the country might be a little overblown. I'm looking at high NIT seed to bubble or just above bubble NCAA tournament team. You don't need to win an NCAA tournament game. I don't think this team's going to make it to the Sweet 16, or at least I'm not willing at this point to, to put my heart into that because when you put your heart into something like that, failure hurts a little bit more. But this team's providing exactly what Virginia Tech fans need right now, and that's just a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope that we're building something great. And, you know, Mike Young from – a you know coaching scheme perspective from a personality perspective and from a culture perspective it just seems you know a year and a very small amount of change in that he is the perfect fit for this university and for a coach that when he was hired a lot of people were skeptical of the hire saying they didn't go big enough you, you gotta like to see the fan base get behind him because any amount of success that he has, it couldn't happen to a better guy, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a great fit in Blacksburg, and that's kind of why I think that he's been able to get guys to buy in so much. But we'll see how the rest of the season goes. It's certainly encouraging thus far. Um, they have the potential to do some special things, but we need to see how the rest of the season plays out and – I do want to caution some tech fans to not get over your skis and not expect too much from a team that's in just their second year in a coach's tenure. Yeah. I mean, we know this fan base very well because we're all very online people as they say. And that is one thing I worry about. And I'll give credit to my boy Nathan on this one because he was the first one to point this out just because we won the big game does not mean that you need to reset your expectations completely. Everything, all the questions that existed previously still exist. Don't be going and saying that Mike Young's a failure if they don't play to the standard of the 16th team in the nation all throughout the year, right? I agree with that, but all I will say is this team's balanced. It has depth. It's playing well defensively. I'm leading the train. This team's good. All aboard. No, I mean, all I think aboard. they're... I'm leading the train. I think they're good too, but I just worry with with some fans that uh, there might be. You don't want to. I don't want to see people overreacting to bumps in the road when bumps in the road are are, are are inevitable at this with point. You. Right? 
<laughs> like with you don't view this team the same way that you viewed the 2018-19 squad that went to the Sweet 16 like it's not to that stand. I, I don't know if there's a single player on this team that would be a top three player on that team. The good news is that they have 10 players that could have easily contributed to that team in some sort of way. And right. depth is important, right? Depth is important, but people need to let this team. Eat. So clearly we have the roster that can win a big game, beat a good team, a Villanova team that is a national championship contender. But there still has to be time and patience given to this team, many of whom are just now for the first time playing together to learn who they are as a unit, to create. And it's been fun to watch through three games because you see them creating an identity, but they need to solidify that. And with lack of experience playing together and, and extenuating circumstances that has made the preparation harder than it's ever been in years past. There has to be patience given to this unit to, to develop an identity and learn who they are. So yeah, basically, please people, I love you all. Don't be tweeting like Mike Young's a joke or something if they drop one here against Clemson or Penn State or whatever. Please don't do that. Please, please, please don't do that. That will drive me into crazy town. Speaking of crazy town, uh, and speaking of my buddy Nathan Brennan, who, if he is known for anything, is known as being the biggest Quincy Patterson stan on Virginia Tech Twitter, it was officially announced today what many of us had expected and perhaps known for quite some time. Quincy Tra Patterson is opting out for the rest of the season. He will be entering the transfer portal. The four-star QB from Chicago, who, following a big, big uh, Elite 11 performance, was on the radar of many tech fans for, you know, basically since he was in high school, dubbed the future of the program. Turns out he will not be, he is headed elsewhere. Ricky, I, I'm sure you had some thoughts about this because you literally tweeted about it earlier. Tell me what your thoughts on this are. Yeah, um, not really sure where to start. So I'll start here. First of all, um, I was fortunate enough to interact with Quincy on several occasions. Always liked him. I think he's a good kid. Justin Fuente said as much. Um, there, I don't think there's any animosity between Quincy and the program or between the coaches and Quincy, um, which is always encouraging because a lot of times in these situations, that's not, that's not how it ends up. So uh, classy way to address it from both sides. Um, the bigger issue I have here is – when Justin Fuente was hired in, in late 2015, one of the reasons that he was hired was because of his work with quarterbacks. Um, we saw what he did with Andy Dalton at, at Texas Christian. We saw what he did with Paxton Lynch at Memphis. Um, he was able to get quarterbacks to develop and, and grow and build on some of the tools that they had and actually turn them into skill. And uh, we saw maybe a hint of that in 2016 with Gerard Evans, even though Gerard was a pretty damn good uh, and productive Juco quarterback. Um, he came to Virginia Tech and set passing records. But the bigger issue here is that Justin Fuente's quarterbacks, though they have been better than the quarterbacks that Virginia Tech had become accustomed to after Tyrod Taylor left, um, his quarterbacks didn't really grow 
His quarterbacks didn't develop. His quarterbacks didn't reach their ceiling. And I'll be uh, working on a piece here that will publish Tuesday. So by the time you're listening to this, it's probably already online. So go read that. Uh, I'm actually going through all of the quarterbacks that Justin Fuente has added onto this roster, excluding A.J. Bush and Knox Caden, because they never really factored into the long-term vision of the program in the first place. Um, And if you go through these one by one, the only quarterback that has shown any sort of serious progression and growth as a passer is Hendon Hooker. Every other quarterback has either regressed under Justin Fuente or been basically the same quarterback they were when they got to Blacksburg. And for a quarter or excuse me, for a head coach who's fighting to keep his job, it's not encouraging when the one trait that made you stand out amongst all the other winning group of five coaches, it's not encouraging when that one trait really seems to be kind of a farce. Um, And we can go through these specifically if you'd like, but I encourage people to actually go back and look at Josh Jackson, Ryan Willis. Um, Go back and look at those guys. And and if you actually watch the games, they never progressed as a passer. They were the same exact player they were when they got here. And that's a real big problem. And I think it's not only an indictment on Justin Fuente, but it's an indictment on Brad Cornelson. And if, they are let go at the end of the season. Um, Their inability to develop the quarterbacks at Virginia Tech and turn them into polished passers and to get them to reach their ceiling will be a big reason why. Mike, what are are your thoughts on the the subject? I think a lot of good points were made there. The, The biggest thing for me with the Fuente era, I agree, it's like the development of the quarterbacks, but I take less of an issue with the development of Quincy Patterson, more of an issue with the development of Hendon Hooker as a passer. And I, I think Hooker's been largely pretty good for Virginia Tech, but the issue that I have with him, and some of this is COVID affected, and I think that's a big part of it, not having a spring practice, not having a regular fall camp. Uh, but Quincy Patterson, but Hendon Hooker this year, sorry, not Quincy Patterson, Hendon Hooker this year has not taken the step forward, I think, overall as a complete player that a lot of people were expecting him to. The points on Josh Jackson and Ryan Wells are pretty well taken. Um, But as far as guys who have fit the system um, and have been the correct quarterbacks to play in the system. So we're talking about Gerard Evans and Hendon Hooker. Like those are the guys I look at and wondering like, okay, why couldn't they take that next step? And Evans had a great year, but there were clearly some things he could have improved on the passing game. Hendon Hooker has been good for the most part, but there are things he can improve on as a dropback passer that he hasn't necessarily developed COVID or not. Ryan Willis wasn't necessarily a fit. Josh Jackson wasn't necessarily a total fit in the offense and he was hurt a good bit, but those guys I kind of grouped differently because they weren't the perfect mold for a Brad Cornelson offense. So in Quincy Patterson's case, I agree. I mean, there was a lot of hype with him coming into his career at Virginia Tech. He had the raw tools, but he was a late developing prospect as well. He wasn't even rated as a four-star player, four-star quarterback until later in his high school career. This wasn't a guy who was like the chosen one all throughout his high school career. He, you know, started to develop late in his junior year, had a really good elite 11 performance that propelled him to a four-star ranking, but 
him kind of being a career backup at Virginia Tech and being inherently limited in the passing game is more a testament to him being kind of a raw prospect and not really developing. But he, he gets beat out by two other four-star guys. I mean, the question that I have is, and especially now after seeing Braxton Burmeister play, for example, is like, why did Braxton Burmeister come in and just jump Quincy Patterson? Like, that's the question I have, right? I've been asking that question for weeks, Mike. Which, yeah, which uh, Ricky's been harping on. And I got the same questions. Like, why did he just like walk in and jump a guy who's been here a few years? Like that shouldn't happen. But I take less of an issue with that and more of an issue with the starting quarterback, not necessarily developing as he should. And the, the one other thing that's kind of underlying this whole topic is Fuente and Cornelson's trust overall in their quarterbacks, right? And we've talked about that with Hendon Hooker, but I, I think it's pretty clear with Quincy Patterson over the course of his career. I mean, you think back to 2018 when Tech was having a really rough year and Quincy Patterson was a true freshman, he really only came in on designed quarterback runs. And then last year in 2019, he played a little bit more of a role out of necessity. You think back to a Notre Dame game, but a big reason why Tech didn't beat Notre Dame in South Bend is because they didn't trust Quincy Patterson to throw the football at all. Tech was a very one-dimensional offense, and Notre Dame adjusted defensively in that football game. And Tech really had trouble kind of staying on schedule offensively in the second half of that game. And a lot of that was because Tech's you know, offensive coordinator and head coach didn't trust Quincy Patterson to throw the football. But even so, like, overall, the, the biggest indictment on the coaching staff Yes, it's not developing quarterbacks. I agree with that point overall, but the bigger issue isn't with Quincy Patterson, in my opinion, it's with the starters and and not developing Hendon Hooker. And I get it's a COVID year, but not at least having the trust that he can throw the ball down the field is something that he showed the ability to do last year. And even if he doesn't develop like you expect him to without a spring practice and a shortened fall, like not putting the consistent trust in your players is going to be the one like sore spot of the Justin Fuente era, in my opinion. So I think Quincy Patterson is a piece of that and a guy who never really developed as a lot of people expected, but Hendon Hooker kind of being here before Patterson and kind of leading the way and being the starting quarterback, that's not as much of an indictment on Patterson, the coaching staff, in my opinion. I think the bigger indictment is the fact that the coaching staff hasn't, haven't developed the starters as well as they should have. So fans are out on the staff saying, oh, you know, fire Fuente, Quincy Patterson transferring is the last straw. Really? A backup quarterback and at best a third stringer at times, him transferring out of the program, that's the last straw for you on Fuente and the coaching staff? It isn't losing to Liberty at home. It isn't losing by 33 to Pittsburgh when you're a favorite and Pittsburgh's a mediocre team. Like, the last straw is a backup quarterback transferring. Like let's get it together folks. Like that you're, you're getting mad, which is fine, but you're getting mad at the wrong stuff. I mean, Mike, in fairness, I think a lot of the people that are saying it's the last straw that Quincy Patterson is transferring have probably tweeted that it's the last straw about all those other things that you mentioned. And we're probably tweeting. It was the last straw last year against Duke. Fair. With that being said, I'll take two angles to this, right? One is that, Quincy did get the hype and we, we, I I know I have many times and you guys probably have too. watched the video from that elite 11 where Trent Dilfer was like, you could be the future of the quarterback position. You're so dynamic. I mean, he's got the body, right? And you mentioned that they didn't trust him. Well, 
he was always going to be a project, right? Because when Quincy Patterson was dominating high school football in, you know, inner city Chicago, Quincy Patterson was far and away the best player on the field. And Quincy Patterson didn't have to be a division one level passer. And he was almost there, but he always had the option to, as we know what he did against North Carolina and we did against Notre Dame, tuck it and run and no one could tackle him. So that's that. But at the end of the day, it was on the coaching staff to develop him to a certain point. And if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it might be a duck. And it was the responsibility of Brad Cornelson and the coaching staff to bring him to that point. And I'm sure when they went into his living room and said, come to Virginia Tech, they made the promise that they would get him from point A, where he was, to point B, which is being, I mean, let's be real, folks. If Quincy Patterson was a even a moderately above average passer out of the pocket, he'd be going to the NFL. And maybe he still can. Maybe he still can, because the clock's not really running out. He's got the extra year. Who knows what will happen with Fuente and what that will do to his, whether he'll have to sit out a year at the next school or not. And maybe if he does have to sit out a year, that could be good for him. Another, maybe playing in a different offense would be good for him. But I, I just think that, and it goes along with your point, Mike, about Hendon Hooker. The development of quarterbacks, I think we've gotten decent quarterbacks as a product that they've coming in. You just haven't seen that evolution out of anyone. You didn't see it out of Gerard. Gerard was good when he came. Josh Jackson was a above average prospect coming out. He had one year in the system behind Gerard Evans, and then he kind of flattened out. Ryan Willis, maybe not the right fit. He regressed from year one to year two. Hendon Hooker, and I'll say this, I do somewhat buy the excuses of the COVID year and the fact that this wide receiver group has left a lot to be desired. But at the end of the day, we hired these people as quarterback wizards. The, Justin Fuente says, I don't trust anyone other than Brad Cornelson with my quarterbacks. Why? <laughs> because you have numerous examples at this point of guys either plateauing or failing to develop. And, and, and it's kind of disappointing. That being said, to echo Ricky's point from earlier, Quincy Patterson has been a model citizen and an ambassador to this program. And every time he was called upon during his tenure at Virginia Tech, he delivered. I think that in the Justin Fuente era, we haven't had a ton to hang on to. There hasn't been a ton of moments, but Quincy Patterson against North Carolina is something that I'll remember as one of my favorite tech games of all time. And he came in cold and got the job done and he did it with dignity and class and, but was a good look for the university. So wherever he, wherever he may end up, whether that be what a lot of people are anticipating, which is a return home to either Northwestern or Illinois, both of whom could be looking for a new quarterback following this season or somewhere else, I'll always be rooting for that guy because, I mean, he's got the tools. He can get it done. I just want to see him have extended success somewhere else. Anything else you guys want to touch on before we uh, wrap this bad boy up? Mike, I, I liked your point about Fuente's evaluation or misevaluation of his own quarterbacks. Um, it seems like he's got a, a decent eye of bringing talent into the room. For sure. So, like, Burmeister obviously has some talent. 
Um, Hooker had talent. Patterson had talent. A.J. Bush had a little bit of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he has not shown the ability to evaluate the guys on his roster properly, and he has not shown the ability, ability to develop and polish his quarterbacks. Yep. And um, it's crazy because if you look at the pass efficiency numbers, they're actually pretty good. But you have to actually watch the games and you have to actually go a bit deeper than just the on the surface numbers to get kind of the full picture here because Hooker's passer efficiency in 2019 was 165. It's 153 this year. Um, Those are higher than anything from 2011 to 2015. And it's not particularly close. Uh, The only person on this list that comes close is Gerard in in 2016 who actually – was a shade below Hendon in passer efficiency. Uh, but the the level of quarterback play has been elevated under under Justin Fuente, and um, he can get a modicum of credit for that. But when you come in as this guy who's worked with one guy who was a longtime NFL starter and is now a backup who is currently playing in, in Andy Dalton, and Paxton Lynch, who was a first-round draft pick, um, people are expecting you to build these elite total package guys at the quarterback position. And we just haven't seen it. And that's one of the the many problems that have kind of come to light under the Justin Fuente era. And another one real quick that we can talk about is Quincy Patterson's another guy who came in with a ton of hype and did not succeed in this program. Yep. Kevin Hunter came in with an absolute boatload of hype and once he got the starting job was suspended for off the field issues. Dax Hollyfield has not become an elite linebacker in this program. Quincy Patterson did not develop inside this program. And while I do think players bore some of the, the, the blame on that, because ultimately it's their careers, the coaches, in my opinion, the ones that are actually teaching them, the ones that are holding them accountable, they hold more of the blame. And this coaching staff just has not turned any of their recruiting wins, guys like Devin Hunter or Quincy Patterson or Dax Hollyfield, into on-the-field wins and guys who are real contributors to your team. Well, but isn't that kind of an anomaly of, of Virginia Tech, right? Because we've seen guys like Christian Darrisaw, to an extent, Caleb Farley, who had to switch positions coming in lower ranked recruits develop and outperform Dalton Keene as well if they could sustain what they have in bringing three-star guys up to four-star level production and then cash in on the four stars that they brought into the program the story of the Justin Fuente era would probably sound a hell of a lot different but unfortunately I mean it's hard to it's good, right? Because Virginia Tech's always been known as a developmental program. It's good to hit on a low three-star guy and have him be an NFL draft pick. That's awesome. But you have to cash in uh, uh, on the gems you bring in as well. And to only rely on the development of the lower guys when the four-star guys either, I mean, you don't really see them outperform expectations that either meet them or just simply fail to meet them. And I just think that if guys like Patterson, guys like Hunter, 
were able to fit that mold and reach or exceed those expectations, it'd be a heck of a lot different. Yeah, and Virginia Tech doesn't bring in enough blue chips to to miss on the ones that they do bring in. Yeah. So um, that's just a, another feather in the cap of those who are out on Justin Fuente. So all right, last see how, thing, uh, we'll see how this weekend goes. Last thing for you guys. This might be opening a can of worms. But Shane Beamer is reported to be the front runner at South Carolina. Are you mad? Nope. Have nope. fun, Shane. Nope. I hope you enjoy it. I hear Columbia is great. Uh, South Carolina is a beautiful state. Go have fun. Go have fun in the SEC East. Um, hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys. Shane Beamer to Virginia Tech, higher risk proposition for both parties. You really don't want to go somewhere and coach where there's a statue of your dad outside your workplace. And Virginia Tech fans who are, are yelling Shane Train, I know some of you are yelling it like satirically, and I understand. Former that. players are really have been the loudest, uh, the loudest proponents of this. And um, I get where it's coming from to an extent, but just in my opinion, I, I do not think it's a good idea. I mean, people were harsh on him when he was like the running backs coach. <laughs> people held him to an extremely high standard at that point and to take over what will be if Justin Fuente is let go at the end of this year or next year, whatever it is, a, a program reset to this extent, the burden of those expectations might just be way too high. So, I mean, good for Shane, son of a legend, alumni of the school, served his time here, by all accounts, a good guy it might be a better fit for him there and we wish him the best of luck. Anything else guys, or should we wrap it up? I'm good. Um, I find it interesting that uh, Herbie and Fowler are going to be calling the tech Clemson game for as much primetime baby crap as her. Well, for, yeah, first of all, thanks ESPN. Appreciate it. I we, we genuinely appreciate you putting Clemson, Virginia tech in primetime. That's absolutely terrific. Um, the other thing is, is that obviously Herbie and Fowler are going to be calling this game. And for as much crap as Herbie has given Fuente for his struggles, it would be interesting to see if Virginia Tech can somehow in some otherworldly fashion make this game close if Herbie is uh, complimentary of, of Mr. Fuente, which he has not been uh, very often. You know what, Ricky? I'll push back on that a little bit. Herbie has called it like he's seen it. He's put Justin Fuente in his top five. I'm not coaches. saying he's not being fair. I'm just saying Herbie's been outspoken, and uh, unlike a lot of people in the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that when Fuente has performed poorly, like, which we know he has, he Herbie has been the first to call him out. But early on in the season, when Virginia Tech was winning games shorthanded, this, that, and the other, or last season when they hit the lowest of lows and had that resurgence with that ACC winning streak. Herbie, who puts out his top five coaches of the week, every week, Justin Fuente has been a mainstay there. That being said, I mean, I, I think that the thing about these ESPN college game day guys is they've been around for so long. They know how passionate this fan base is. They know how this program has so much potential and can be something. And they understand more than maybe, younger fans or people who are just not all in tune to college football and don't remember 2010 all that well, 
who might just think of Virginia Tech as, as we've mentioned before on this podcast, a another Pitt or Boston College. You know, I, I think Herbie and the crew continue to hold Virginia Tech to a higher standard than that, just like the fan base does. So I think that as far as national guys go, Herbie and the college game day crew and that, you know, the big primetime ESPN crew, they know the Virginia Tech fan base on a more in-depth level than they might know some other programs, which I think is a blessing and at times a curse because you have the national guys that everyone knows echoing your own sentiments. But that being said, that's going to wrap it up for up for us here at the Hokey Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex, Mike McDaniel, and Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, take it so Mike can't say it. Rate, review, subscribe. That you should do. That you should do. Mike, uh, I know you don't have anything else to say other than rate, review, subscribe. So tell me, what was the best thing you ate on Thanksgiving? You guys think I'm so goddamn helpless closing. Like, I'm not a podcast <laughs> veteran. Dear God, man. Um, the best thing I ate on Thanksgiving... The yams, baby. Oh, mashed potatoes are pretty good, too. And a, a various assortment of pies. So my fat ass could. You asked for one thing, and you just named, like, seven. I make the rules, baby. That's All right, fair. we're done here. That's <laughs> fair. Yep, good note to end on. We will be back recording on Wednesday. You will get the episode on Thursday, Virginia Tech and Clemson on national television. Scary proposition has the makings of a public execution. Will it be that? Or can the Hokies hang in there? Well, you'll have to come back and find out. Like they said, rate, review, and subscribe. Get excited for some basketball season, I guess. Like I said, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. Until then, enjoy your week and go Hokies.